welcome to Live Vedanta, a podcast where we explore simple living and high thinking. Each week, we join Vivek Gupta as he offers insights on bringing the divine into the daily. Vivekji has experienced much of what the world has to offer, whether it is attending an elite business school or traveling to almost 50 countries. However, tired with the inconsistent and incomplete peace associated with these pursuits, he decided to turn his journey within. Over the last decade, Vivekji has shared his observations on the signs of independent joy with communities across North America and beyond. When we tune into silence, it is the same as being independently joyous. In this week's episode, we learn specifically about discipline, discipline in one's words, actions, and mind. And we learn this from the example of those who are already enlightened. The way they naturally live, we have to practice. So let's dive in. Greetings from Niagara Falls. Would you ever go into a building where there is no way to get out? Would you ever join a course? Would you ever be part of a college where there is no end to how much you have to study, where you won't get a degree? Would you ever accept a position in a workplace where there's no opportunity for growth, that where you are is where you are forever? I think we would say no to all of this. When we go to a restaurant, we're aware of the door we came in from, and that's the door we're going to leave from. We go to college to leave college. We work so that we can grow in our responsibilities, in our positions. Living is the same way. What is the point of living if there is no growth? What is the point of living if there is no release? We are fortunate. We have this bhagya that we know living is about growing and is about release. And that's the focus of this course. The focus of this course is contemplation. How do I find that absolute rest, that independent joy? Just as there are optical illusions, so too there are mental illusions. My eyes see the sunset, the sunrise. That's an optical illusion to my eyes, but not to my mind. So I feel that the body is living in this relativity, but the mind is living in the absolute. 
that's not true either. The mind goes through mental illusions, and this can be extreme in the form of dreaming, or it could simply be taking people's opinions to be absolute. This person likes me, this person doesn't like me. This person compliments me, this person criticizes me. These are all projections of people's thoughts. And for me to internalize these, that these are real, that's a mental illusion. We discard the optical illusion. Why not discard the mental illusion? This demands, in the language of Pujaswami Chinmayananda, us to be quiet, for us to be alert, for us to be vigilant. If I can add some content to these words, being quiet would be like being organized. When I have space and balance in my life, then I start to be alert in my outer world. One example of that is, I'm alert of what I have in my fridge so I don't buy more of that so I don't waste food. And vigilant is when I'm, I know what's going on in my inner world. I know that my thoughts are playing tricks on me. I know that I'm tired so I'm going to become indiscriminate. This is the re-education that is shared in chapter eight of Meditation and Life. A perpetual re-education, which is facilitated by right thinking. We all have an education, but is this education lifting me towards independent joy? It's not. So I need to re-educate myself, right thinking. Right thinking is where I start to catch that mental illusion. I start to begin my inquiry. With this review of chapter 8, we now complete one-fifth, 20% of our text. We are now in class 19, which is one-fifth, 20% of our course. Alongside meditation and life, we are studying, whether you have the text or not, various Upanishads. And so in this class, the remainder of this class, we're going to complete the third Upanishad. So why? Why is it that we're studying these different Upanishads that nobody has ever heard of, we haven't heard of, during this course? Most of meditation and life, this text, is focusing on the means. If you follow these means, you will reach the ends. But our personalities, we're not trained to be patient. Correct? We're generally impatient. I'll give you an example. Anger expresses as impatience. Why are we angry? Now, you've heard me say before, Krodha comes from Bhaya. Bhaya comes from 
Raga. Raga comes from Vikshepa. Vikshepa comes from Avidya. I'll share this in a different way. My impatience comes from my anger. My anger comes because I believe I am right, which makes you wrong. Correct? Does anyone ever feel that they're wrong? We always feel that we're right. We love our opinions, which is why we love to talk. <laughs> In some study groups, though it's a collective study group, there's always that one person who wants to dominate that study group, whether they're a sevaka or a sadhaka. Correct? So this doership, see how it expresses its anger, expresses as, imp as impatience. So I don't have the patience to just keep hearing about the means, keep on reading about the means. So I'm introducing these Upanishads that only describe and discuss the ends. Only share details on those who are enlightened. For those who are nearing enlightenment, those who are enlightened, they use a Danda. It's called a tridanda. This stick um, has three parts to it. Have you ever seen someone walk around with this, this staff? There's really not three parts to it. So why do they call it tridanda? The word danda comes from dhamma. Now dhamma you've heard of before. In the chat room, tell me what dhamma means. That's right. Sense control or calmness of body. <laughs> Vyasa doesn't like getting his diaper changed. He doesn't like getting his clothes changed. So every once in a while I have to say, be calm. So now he looks at me and says, be calm. <laughs> so I'm saying, dhamma. He's looking at me, dhamma. <laughs> so this... Danda is actually Dhamma, and three or three, it is to have a discipline starting with Vak. Vak Danda or Vak Dhamma is to be disciplined with one's speaking. And if I have to be disciplined with my speaking, I naturally have to be disciplined with my listening. Again, those who are nearing enlightenment, this is what they naturally do. Next is kaya danda or kaya dhamma. Kaya means body. See, <coughs> see, with speaking, if you're not there, I naturally have vak dhamma, isn't it? There's no one I can insult if I'm in a room by myself. But when I come home and nobody's here, I can eat whatever I want, correct? I can drink whatever I want. I can stay up as late as I want. See, it's deeper that kaya dhamma. And more deep than that is mana dhamma. Is that discipline of mind, that re-education in right thinking, as I just described. Through vak, kaya, and mana Danda, or discipline, one starts to naturally be calm, quiet, still, 
and I had shared last week that when one starts to tune into silence, that is the same as being independently joyous. They're more cheerful, they're more concentrated. In Manashodhanam, Swami Tejumayananda describes people who own their thoughts and so act on their thoughts, they're daya patram. Patram means they're a vessel <laughs> that deserves daya. <laughs> people who are ruled by their thoughts, they deserve daya, no? They deserve compassion. And it is people who are not run by their thoughts, they're the ones who offer that daya. You know, we never think like that. I think someone who's impoverished deserves my daya. So I donate my jackets and I, you know, I sponsor an orphan, etc., etc., etc. But when I think that thoughts are real, then I deserve daya. That compassion I need. For someone who's nearing enlightenment, for someone who's enlightened, they eat alms, or they eat bhiksha, and it goes straight into their stomach. See, some, when they go for bhiksha, they carry a kamandalu, correct? And why do they do that? They do that for their future meal. So now we're all thinking, we don't go for bhiksha, we don't have a kamandalu. But isn't it that we're worried so we have more in the form of security. That I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen next year. So that worry and then trying to create security is the same way as that person who's always thinking about their next meal. But for someone who's nearing enlightenment, they have no insecurity. They are absorbed in all that they have, which is the present. So the Upanishads that we're studying, Bhikshuka Upanishad, Avadhuta Upanishad, Jabala Upanishad, all of these Upanishads are describing externally how someone would be, but we have to think about this, how does this manifest internally? Through discipline, through understanding that you can't have security outside. It's endless. Another virtue, another quality of those who are nearing enlightenment. They don't accept gifts. They do not accept gifts. Now, many of you will sign off for the remainder of the, <laughs> for the class or course. Why? What does this mean for us? One of the yamas, one of the don'ts, that Rishi Patanjali shares is aparigraha. Graha means to hold, parigraha means to hold tightly. Aparigraha means not to hold tightly. And Rishi Patanjali says you should not own anything you don't use. Now for someone who's nearing enlightenment, their aparigraha is of their equipment. <laughs> That's such a deep thought. 
that they've let go of the body. They treat this body like a gift, that they don't receive this gift, the breath, the mind. But that can only happen if my lifestyle is like that, isn't it? For me to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Their aparigraha is of the neti. Na iti, na iti, that's why I'm letting go of it. And one more description of those who are nearing enlightenment is that they're naked. Right? And we've heard this before. If you ever travel in Bharat, you may even see some people like this. What does this mean subjectively? How many years did Rishi Shuka stay in his mother's womb? How many years did Rishi Shuka stay in his mother's womb? That's right, 12 years. Some of your kids aren't even 12 years. <laughs> and he stayed in his mother's womb for 12 years. And when his mother was struggling, she approached her husband Rishi Vyasa and said, you need to get this kid out. <laughs> I, I can't handle this anymore. So he has a dialogue with Rishi Shuka and says, how come you're not coming? You are our son. We want to be with you. And he says, if I come out of this womb, I will be trapped by Maya. Because in our tradition, as long as you're in your mother's womb, she didn't give birth to you. It's Bhagavan, no? How is it that a father, a mother, or any combination can take two cells and turn that into an infant. Is that possible? It's only Bhagavan that can make that possible, which is why when we're in our mother's womb, we remember that. We remember our creator. So why someone nearing enlightenment is, is naked is that they remember, you know, we came out of the womb naked. They remember their connection to the Creator. That's what this means. It can't just be half an hour a week or one hour a week. It has to be always. All of these descriptions that I'm sharing with you from Jabala Upanishad, these describe Parama Hamsas. A Hamsa can take in two ways. One is a swan that is able to distinguish milk from water if they're mixed. That and a paramahamsa means the one with the highest filtration or discrimination. The one who knows the illusion would also be the one who knows reality. Hamsa also means hamsaha. Saha, aham, which we say soham. That person knows I am that, that I am. Sri Nisargadatta's book is called I Am That, no? In Vedanta we say, hamsa, aham, saha, I am that. And paramahamsa means the one who is not relatively free. I would say we are all relatively free, but absolutely free. And some of the names that are mentioned of those who are Paramahamsas are Rishi, Shweta Ketu. 
And another which you would maybe not agree with, based on our Puranas, is Rishi Durvasa. Now, whenever you think of Durvasa, what do you think of? <laughs> we think back to that anger, correct? Talk about impatience. Comes from anger, comes from being right. See, but the difference is, he is always right. Durvasa means the one whose clothes are dirty. So a lot of our college and university students, they're Durvasa also. <laughs> what this means more deeply is someone who's not identified with the body. That's what Durvasa means. So Rishi Shweta Ketu, Rishi Durvasa, and in Jabal Upanishad, what is mentioned is they have no outer signs of enlightenment. No outer signs. So everything I just described, Tridanda, going for Bhiksha, being naked, for someone who is absolutely free, they don't need that externality. They don't need that ritual. And this is most important for us because where you are, this is to be practiced, this is to be lived. Doesn't matter what city, doesn't matter we're in Kali Yuga. It's easier to be enlightened in Kali Yuga. That's our Bhagya. There are no outer signs. Those who are nearing enlightenment, those who are enlightened, they do <coughs> what they do to cure people. Cure people of what? Their madness with following their senses. They're curing people of their madness with following their senses Someone who's enlightened is sometimes described as Balavat. For all of those in the Mohamudgara course, what does Balavat mean? Like a child. Unmatvat, like a insane person. And an alternative reading is Pisachavat, which means like a ghost. So here, we think that the enlightened person is mad, but actually that enlightened person is sane. We are the ones who are insane and they're trying to cure us of this. And they're doing this by showing whatever you identify with, you live for. Whatever you identify with, you live for. In a very objective example, if you identify as a dog, are you going to eat lasagna? Are you going to eat dosa? You're going to eat dog food. But if you identify as a human, then you will eat human food. So these enlightened personalities, they identify with Advaita, with that oneness which is why they live amongst us. Meditation and life, not mutually exclusive. It's not meditation hyphen life. Meditation bracket life. Meditation and life. And our course is called Meditation in Life. And I'll share one more reference with everyone. 
In Bhagavatam, there's a character, his name is Dundukari. His name is also Ajay, Aditya, Akshay, Amita, Amuda, Anisha. Should I keep going? <laughs> so Dundukari, he invites five prostitutes to live with him. And naturally, he's following his senses with those prostitutes. And those prostitutes can never be satisfied. He keeps having to bring more stuff for them. He is to start stealing for them. And eventually, what do they do to him? They kill him. Internalizing this, when someone lives by their senses, there is no rest. And eventually, one dies. And what dies? That opportunity to identify with a deeper part of being a human, a deeper opportunity with being a human. And through Dundukari's bhagya, fortune, he was born with a brother whose name is Gokarna, a brother who had cow-like ears. Gokarna means the one whose ears are ever listening to the Veda. Someone who is knowledgeable, someone who is guided, is someone who can guide. And Gokarna frees Dundukari. This Dundukari goes and lives with Bhagavan Vishnu. So in the completion of this Upanishad, these Paramahamsas are being described. And the Paramahamsas become our means and ends. The way they naturally live, we have to put in practice to live. And if we can, all of these descriptions will be our description. Now is the only time for this. If you enjoyed what you heard or you want to learn more, share this episode with a friend or find us online at medium.com slash Vichara Gurukula. For those on the journey of self-development, Vichara Gurukula is a community forum that provides an opportunity to listen, reflect, and contemplate. This podcast is produced by the Young Adults of Chinmaya Mission, an international nonprofit working to transform individuals through the knowledge of Vedanta. Until next time, inspire, love, be.